Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. And that 11th verse, Paul is saying, God chose us to be his people. God chose us to be his people. Even before, as the King James has the Greek words translated, before the foundation of this world was put in order. From the very beginning, back before this world was put together, God had you in mind and the redemption plan had already been made. The hope of the church. I remember some time ago seeing a young lady that was in the hospital that I'd known for quite a while and about every bad thing that could happen to a person had happened to her. And she had lost her husband. Her husband had left her and she had lost her job and she had uh, even I think had uh, had an accident in her car and now she was in the hospital. I wasn't too ill but uh, ill enough to be in the hospital to be treated. And when I went to see her, her mother was there. And in our conversation, I asked her, I said, how in the world uh, did you get in such a mess? And her mother spoke up before she could and said, well, it wasn't easy. She had to work at it. And you know, sometimes I think about our church like that. When I think about the church, in our church, not just the Methodist church. And then when I think even about the Methodist church, how that we have come within the last few years, that we have actually lost more people uh, then we have taken into the church and uh, more people than we have won to the Lord Jesus Christ and I think that this brings us to the place where we need to give some serious thought as we've been trying to these last few weeks about our church and what it means to be a part of a creative living dynamic church and we need to if we don't we will continue to be and to do what we have in the past and it seems to me that in this day in which you and I are called to make our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, it calls upon us and behooves us to give some serious thought as to how we might be able to change this situation that we find ourselves in as a church. And perhaps some light can be shed on the situation by thinking about these thoughts. To think in the first place about our concept that we have of religion, as it being something is what goes on within the four walls of the church. Now, it would be interesting to note, and may even be sad, to note and to know how much of our thinking about the church is tied up here within the four walls, or how much of our religion, how much of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is tied up with what goes on right here within the, what we call the church building, opposed to that which is out there. And yet we know, and we're wise enough to know, and we're smart enough to know, and we do know uh, that this is only a part of it. We come here, we come apart from a busy life to a special place, to the church, on the Sabbath day, another time, in order that we might be able to prepare ourselves for what? In order that we might be able to prepare ourselves in order to live more perfectly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes that we might be able to make a better witness for Him. Uh, but many times we think of the church and of our religion as being something is what goes on within the four walls 
and never seeing it as being something that goes on out there tomorrow, on a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And that is as important as what we do in here on the Sabbath day. In fact, if we do not carry out the dictates of our hearts on a Monday, Tuesday and through the week that we get the inspiration of in here, it does us very little good to be in this place. And then there's a second thing that I would call to your attention. It seems that we have left over the years and through the years, we have left uh, our churchmanship up to the professional. We have thought that everything that needed to be done around the church that we could hire to have done. And so through the years, we have practiced that pretty well, and we've tried to make that uh, uh, be a, a successful program, but it can never be a successful program for us to come to the place in our thinking where we think uh, that we uh, can hire everything that needs to be done about the church to be done. You know, I do not know anything that is any more of an encouragement to me uh, than to see the people that make the church up love it so much uh, that they give of their time uh, to the church and do the many things that need to be done around the church. You know, I think it would be a sad situation, even if we had the money, uh, that we would try to hire everything that we need to have done about our church to, to have it done. I think that would be a tragic situation. I do not know of anything that speaks more greatly about a person's concern about a church and to see them giving of their time to their church in some fashion, some way, whether it be to teach a Sunday school class, or whether it be to patch the roof, or to paint the building, or cut the grass. What a delightful thing it is for me to be among a people who love their church enough to do the jobs around the church that need to be done. And I do not know of another thing that's any more of an encouragement uh, to a minister, the ones that I know, and then for that and these things to take place. But we have got to come to the place where we see once again that we cannot leave it up to professionals to do the job about the church that needs to be done. It cannot be done, and it will never be done the way that God intended for it to be done. And then we think of the church as being what someone else is being or doing. And we think the church is not what it ought to be, it's someone else's fault. If the church is strong, we think it's because of the efforts of someone else. Somehow or another, we never come to the place where we really identify with the church like we ought to, and see that the church can be no better than the sum total of us who make it up. Dear friends, listen. This particular church can be no better than the sum total of us who make it up. And that's the way that God planned for it to be. If it is a weak church, it's because we present ourselves that way. If it's a strong church, it's because we sacrifice and make it be what it ought to be. And then... We have made little use of the talents and gifts uh, that God has given to us. Oh, we think about someone else using uh, their ability and capability and their talents. It's easy for us to pick out someone else in the congregation and say, well, they should be doing this or they should be doing that or they should be doing more. And all the while, uh, we're not doing what we ought to do within the church. One of the, uh, the great things about a church is that we're always ready and willing to use somebody else's ability and capability, but when it comes down to, to mine and using mine, I guess I'm as 
alert to the situation as Moses or anyone else. I can think of 10,000 different reasons right off the top of my head why I should not do what I've been asked or what I've been expected to do. We have everything it takes to be the church. We have everything it takes to be the church. Whether we are talking about the Methodist church at large or whether we're talking about our own particular church. And I would call your attention to the fact uh, that the Apostle Paul is saying, and he was writing to a church at Ephesus, in all probability the church wasn't any larger than ours, about the same size, at Ephesus. And he is telling them that God has given to you every spiritual gift in the heavenly world. Now what Paul is really saying is that he has given you every gift that you need to do the job that needs to be done in the situation where you are. Now, folk, I have found that to be so. It's not, if the job is not done, it's not because we are lacking in talent and ability and capability. It is not so. We have it. We are something sometimes like the farmer. Or the would-be farmer. The farmer, this would-be farmer had everything that it took to be a farmer and to be able to do a great job. He had all the equipment that he needed. He had beautiful land to be tilled and to be cared for that would have brought forth a great harvest. I think about my childhood days and going seeing an old man that was older when I knew him. And, but I used to like to visit him, especially in the wintertime. And we would sit around the stove and he would tell me about what he was going to do next spring. And we would, you know, the, uh, the big fields of corn and wheat. And, and you could almost, with your, as in your mind's eye, you, you could see that golden grain waving in the breeze. But somehow or another, he never got around to ever even putting out a garden when time came. And so the would-be farmer, all of his equipment is rusting away in the barn lot. And the fields are left to grow weeds. And the world starves. If I can believe Paul, and I do believe Paul because it's been my experience within the churches that I've been part of, that we have everything it takes to do the job. And yet somehow or another, we never get around to doing completely and totally what we ought to do. And the world is spiritually starving to death. You know, it shocks me when I hear people talking about our church, and I'm thinking about our church here, when I hear some of the leaders of our church lump our, our church with other churches, other Methodist churches, and think of us as just being an average church. I always want to object to it, but I don't. I want to object we're not the average church. We're not the average church even physically. We have, have 10 acres of ground, and I don't know of too many churches that have 10 acres of ground. And we have a beautiful setting. I know people who drive by our church, another Methodist preacher that drives by our church just to see it because he thinks it's beautiful. He thinks the grounds are beautiful. And if you don't think it's beautiful, you just drive up back here and look at our outdoor sanctuary back there, the back, the back 40, you know. It's just beautiful. Well, we're not the average church. And those of us who make it up, the ability and capability that we have and the opportunity that we have is, is beyond the average church. We are some different, though, than the farmer. Now, we do have a desire within our heart that we want to be able to do what needs to be done. I think about the simplicity of the, of the world in the day of the Good Samaritan. 
when he found the man that had been bruised and beaten and robbed by the by the roadside and the other uh, two men had rushed on by without helping him by he stops and with his donkey takes him into town and treats his wounds properly with wine and then goes ahead and gets him a room uh, but we know that life is not quite that simple and then we excuse ourselves but the principle is still the same the thing that the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about when he told the story remains true today how is it that we can go about fulfilling our responsibility that we have within God's kingdom at this very hour? And it seems to me that we ought to start somewhere around right here at this place in our thinking. We've got to be willing to fail. There's not a psychiatrist or psychologist that I've ever read but what didn't say the chief cause of people not being what they ought to be and not fulfilling their life is a fear of failure, being afraid. It's the chief enemy of most of us. It's being afraid, being afraid. Well, friends, we can't be afraid to fail. But one has said, if you dream up ten things, and out of ten things you try, one of them succeeds, you cannot count yourself as a failure. We are to dream dreams and have visions of what needs to be done and be willing to try it, even though it may not work out. How do we know? whether something will work or not until uh, we have tried it. And then when we try it and it doesn't work, we'll know, we'll then know, we'll be smarter, won't we? We'll know then that this will not work and we need to try to do something else. And then, if need be, be made to play the part of the fool or look like a fool. But we don't like for people to think that we're silly, do we? You know, I like the story of Jonah so very much because it speaks to a specific point. And you know what? The, the main charge, you remember, that Jonah brought against God. Uh, when he went to Nineveh and preached that great sermon and all the people were converted and, and it still made Jonah so mad that he went out on the hill. And you remember the charge that he brought, to, uh, brought against God? He went out on the hill and, and sat down and said, now I'm going to see what other stupid things you're going to do, Lord. And if it's translated right, it would probably read like this, or it's my translation, of the charge that Jonah brought against God. And Jonah, in effect, said to God, said, I knew he was going to make a fool out of me. That's the reason I didn't want to come. You told me uh, that uh, you were going to destroy Nineveh. And I knew you weren't going to destroy Nineveh. I just knew you wouldn't. And so you made me look like a fool. But you know, uh, we just don't want to risk anything today, do we? Uh, so what if we try uh, this plan or that plan? And they do not work. And some may look at us and laugh at us and, and call us a fool. I re remember a man, he called me long distance from Texas not too long ago, but he was a member of my church and, and a great Christian. And he invited me to go down to Alabama with him and, and go deer hunting on his father's farm. And, and I accepted and, and went down and went deer hunting with him. And he was telling me about a man that used to live down the road there a mile or two. Uh, years ago when he was a young man and said when he came in there he came in with nothing just a little old engine and a sawmill and he began to saw lumber saw these trees up in the lumber and said the people began to take advantage of it said no I'm not going to sell that track of land to you unless you buy the ground too and the ground was real cheap and no one wanted it and so in order for him to make a living and do his trade well he had to buy the land in order to get the trees to run his sawmill and so he started to bind the land and the trees. And so he bought up everything around there. Thousands of acres. 
And now the man is a multimillionaire. But no one laughs at him anymore. No one laughs. You know, some of the things that people laugh at us about, and I think that we're a fool, the thing that God has called us to do. And I think of the ones, I think of Jonah. The Jonah, you should have been a gracious person. And you should have gone ahead and done what God called you to do. And if he changes his mind, that's all right. That's all right. Be strong enough. Be willing to look like a fool if need be. And to be patient with one another. Oh, how super critical we are of one another. You know, sometimes this is tragic, dear friends. This is really tragic when it happens. Uh, that we're so super critical of one another. Because you see, it does look like all of us could do better. But then you do not know all of the other things that a person has to contend with. And maybe if you had to contend with all that that person had to contend with, you may not be as good as that person. We're super critical of one another within the church. And that's a tragedy when that happens. We are here to be an encouragement to the heart and mind and soul of one another. And then to use the gift that God has given to you. Paul is right. I have never met a person upon the face of this God-given earth that didn't have some kind of special gift. The tragedy of it is that we go through life and never really know what our gift really is. And that's a tragedy. Well, I tell you that if you do not know what your special talent is, it may be more than one. The best thing that you could possibly do is get into some study of it or come to a place to think about it and until at last you know, this I know uh, that I have a talent for. I think about the talents that God has given to us. Uh, the gift of prayer. Everybody has uh, this ability and capability of prayer. There's a little lady that lives across the way from us where my brothers and I stayed for a while and we were all growing and I'm sure we look like an army marching in and out of that place. And, and she was a little old Christian across the way there. And I didn't even know what a church looked like inside. And After I, this had happened to me and I began enrolled in the seminary and became a a minister, I remember being with her family, and she said, yes, years ago, I prayed that one of you boys would become a preacher. And she didn't know my name. You know, I sort of hold it against her. And she got me into this mess. No, she got me into this wonderful thing. You know, folks, I really believe that. I really believe at this moment, I believe that somehow, some way, that lady prevailed with God. And she didn't weigh over a hundred pounds. Just a little old thing. But oh, when she talked to God, things happened. One of the things I'm going to ask God when I get there, what effect did she have on me becoming a minister? And you know, I think I know the answer already. I think the Lord is going to say she worried me every day. Every day she worried me. And I thought, well, I'll just do it. You know, the ability and capability of prayer. You have it. Oh, let me tell you something. Folks, when, when I know that certain people are praying for me, man, what a difference it makes. What a difference it makes. Anyone prays for me. But it's been my experience through the years that I have known certain people and, and I just didn't want them, you know, saying anything critical about me to the Lord. I just didn't want them to because I think they had that type of relationship with God. The ability or the talent of prayer. Oh, the gift of peace, too. The gift of peace. And the gift to be able to articulate words at the right time. 
You know you can say the same thing, but if it's not the right time, it's all wrong. And I wind up too many times saying the right thing, but it's the wrong time. The timing is off. And I'm sort of envious of these people can have the right word at the right time. And another thing about these people, you, when you have them around you, you just think good thoughts, you know. You, uh, they're just such peacemakers. Just to be with them. Now, I think we have a district superintendent is one of the greatest. You know, I mean, he's, he's great in, and his capacity to love, his, his charisma, as we call it, it's it just like water, just, you know, just uh, everywhere. To be around Paul. You sense here's a man that has, has a great ability to put a person at ease. I make no bones about it. I think he'd make a great bishop. Some people have this uncanny ability of peace. And in the gift of love. Oh my. Here again, you can hardly separate the two. The gift of love. And there's not a one of us that doesn't have a heart that is capable of the most astounding amount of love that a person could ever possibly dream of. Oh, your heart. It is so that some people seem to be able to communicate this love better than others, but all of us have it. And all of us have a heart uh, that can manufacture it, and the more we give away, the more that we have. I envy these people too. I sort of envy Paul. Don't tell him I said so. Uh, but you know, uh, whether he loves you or not, he can make you feel like you do. You know, you just be around him. You just think, well, I'm, uh, this guy has an awesome ability to love. I'm using him as, a, as an example of other people. We have him here. I wouldn't want to embarrass you. But you're here. And I thank God for you. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us, to some degree, would exercise its ability and capability that God has given to each one of us. Uh, that we uh, just make this place a place of where people sense that they're loved. Folks, I want to tell you, of all the records that I've read, one of the great things that attracts people is to be among people that love one another. And boy, that's right. You just sense it. You feel it. You just soak it up uh, uh, with your skin. We are responsible for the good news. That's what Paul is saying, among other things in this scripture. He is saying that you and I, as a church, we are responsible for the good news. We are responsible for the revelation that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been delivered. We have been delivered. And that deliverance means, the, in the old terminology, ransom. Like a prisoner has been ransomed, a war prisoner has been ransomed by his country. Or a slave has been set free. A criminal has been pardoned. The same words that are used to describe what Paul is talking about here is one of the same words that is used in the Old Testament to, do, to describe deliverance of God's people from Egypt uh, when they were set free as slaves. One of the same words that are used to free a person from trouble. In every case, freeing a man from a situation where he is powerless, now, where he is completely helpless. And the terminology is used that here is where you have been set free over something that you had absolutely no control or you had no power over it. The point of fact is one and the same as what Jesus Christ did for you and for me when we were in the grip of sin and it was so powerful and so deadly that it wasn't anything that we could really do about it outside of what God through the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and for me uh, when he ransomed us 
are when he delivered us. Secondly, we have the responsibility for this forgiveness. The man the sense of being inadequate, failure. There's no need for man or woman to go around dreading God anymore or dreading to meet God because there is forgiveness. It is no wonder that Paul wanted to shout when he thought about what God had done for him through the Lord Jesus Christ and freed him from all of his sins, even from the stoning and the killing of Stephen, the first Christian to die for Christ. I am forgiven. We are in charge of that forgiveness. And then a third thing, and this is very interesting to me and a new thought for me, and that is that Paul in this letter said uh, that God will give to you certain wisdom too. And that wisdom I noticed in the, in the Greek is broken down in two things. One word is Sophia, which uh, has to do with the searching the, of the intellect. That has to do with the contemplating of life and death. Something that uh, we can think about the ascetic type of a situation where we can see beauty and bring into question all of the things that has to do with the upper level of things as we usually think about them. And phonesis is another Greek word and this had to do with wisdom but it was the type of wisdom that you had that God would give to you to solve the daily nitty-gritty problems of the day. Now you see you think that God's only involved and concerned about the greater things. Well what Paul is saying, he's concerned about the total of man. How you meet today, how you solve and resolve your problem. And he said that he will give you the type of wisdom that you need in order to be able to do what you need to do in this very hour that is upon you today. There is a completeness within the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. This is the revelation that Paul is talking about. That God has done something for the total person not just part of him. And then he says we're a chosen people. I tell you that does boggle my mind. To know that before, before the Lord made the world, that he had you in mind. Chosen. I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Chosen. The power of a father. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.